Well, if you've only lived in Michigan, then it's doubtful you've ever really experienced any kind of true devastation to an area uh, because of nature. Uh, in fact, I was thinking about the disasters that we've experienced even here in Michigan because of uh, storms. There was that severe flooding back in 2014, if you remember, a lot of the homes around Metro Detroit were, were ruined. Uh, Fraser had a sinkhole uh, a few years back, you might re recall that. And every once in a while, you know, we get a tornado that comes down and kind of um, wrecks some stuff, but we, we really haven't seen anything devastating. Of course, there was that one very well-known tragedy that happened in 1975 up in Lake Superior. There was a freighter that sank uh, in a terrible storm, killing 29 crew members. Why is it so well-known that, that everybody in this room has heard of this storm? And some of you are like, what are you talking about? I've never heard of this. 75 wasn't even born in 1975. What are you talking about? Oh, you know it because Gordon Lightfoot wrote a song about the Edmund Fitzgerald. That's right. That was in the Great Lakes, Lake Superior. So if you ever hear that song, if you actually look at the lyrics of that song, quite sad, but quite uh, um, talking about uh, the Great Lakes. Our storms are nothing compared to the rest of the world. In fact, I got a couple pictures to show you. Hurricane Katrina many years ago devastated New Orleans. Uh, then there was Hurricane Sandy that crushed the, the East Coast. You can see, just if you look at the screen, what kind of devastation happens. Our family went down to Florida. Uh, Fort Myers just got hit by Hurricane Ian. Uh, there's this little fishing area that I like to go to called Mat Lachey, kind of next to Cape Coral and Pine Island. And if you've ever been there before, you know it's this, this, this old kind of fishing. They kind of, they kind of like the fact that they're, you got these old buildings, and, but it's gone now. It's totally gone, totally devastated. Um, went over there, it was crazy uh, what uh, the, the flooding did and everything. Um, nature can certainly be uh, powerful. And what is it that makes uh, nature and storms in particular so powerful? Uh, it's the wind, isn't it? Isn't the wind, what, you know, with the tornadoes, the hurricanes, that's really what makes it so powerful. And I ask this question, who controls the wind ultimately? Because a lot of people will answer that question by saying Mother Nature controls it. But I'm telling you, or I'm asking, maybe I'll ask the question a little differently. Uh, who is the wind? Who is the wind? And you're like, wait, what, what is that all about? Like, what are you talking about? Well, let me just bring you to the beginning, Genesis 1. Okay, so if you look up uh, on the verses on the screen here, you're going to see in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You've heard this before? Yep, we keep going, the next one. The earth was without form, it was without void, it was void, it was darkness, was over the face of the deep, but, but there was somebody, the Spirit of God, who was over the face of the waters. And the word for spirit, if you ever look up some of these words. Remember, the Old Testament that we have is written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for spirit is the word ruha, R-U-A-H. And that word means, it's also translated, wind. So the spirit is ruha, wind. In the New Testament, it's pneuma, the word is pneuma, and it's the same meaning, wind. So here we see here that um, God is the wind. In fact, if you go a little further in Genesis to chapter 3, verse 8, 
you might recall Adam and Eve had wonderful fellowship before their sin with God, um, but then after they sinned, uh, they, things changed. But um, they used to have this habit. It says Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Does your translation say that? If you are, we use the English Standard Version, the ESV version um, here at Life of Purpose. That's what I preach from. But you might have a different translation. But the word "cool" is actually the word "wind." It's ruha again. So God. Now, can God walk like us? Does he have a body like us? No, he's spirit. So when Adam and Eve walked with God, we write what we, you know, we try to make it understandable. So we we say that Adam and Eve, Moses wrote this, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. Well, they didn't really walk. God didn't walk with them. He really whooshed with them. (laughs) Think about it. I mean, he's the wind. He whooshed with them. So they heard the whooshing of God. That was the the walking, because he is the wind. Now, let me tell you the New Testament, because Jesus always was pointing out uh, and teaching from from the Old Testament. What does Jesus say to Nicodemus when he's teaching him about being born again, about what it takes to get into the kingdom of heaven? He says in John 3, chapter, or uh, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. The pneuma, because this is the New Testament and it's in Greek now, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes or where it goes. And then this is the part that I love. So it is with everyone who's a Christian, a true Christian, they are born of the wind, the Spirit. They're born of God. So he makes that connection all the way back to Genesis. And sometimes the Holy Spirit whooshes gently, and sometimes the Holy Spirit whooshes violently in in our world, but always with a purpose. God always has a plan. And today we're in Exodus 7 and 8, because we're going through the book of Exodus, one verse at a time, one chapter at a time, and we're going to look at the first three plagues of uh, of the ten plagues of Egypt. Um, if you want a, a pretty cool copy, I found um, out there in my research, I put it where the offering table is in the middle of the room there. It's an a, um, outline of all the ten plagues. So you can take that with you um, home, and uh, I know how many copies I made, so I know how many people will, will actually take them home. So I'm smart. I was a teacher once. <laughs> so the plagues... The ten plagues, as we're going to see over the next three Sundays, reveal three things about God. First, his power, then his protection, and then his ultimate plan. So we're going to cover three plagues today, six next week, and the final plague uh, in in three Sundays. So it's exciting. I'm calling this one Power Plagues. Power Plagues. All you hockey fans, you're like, oh yeah, Power Plagues. No, Power Plagues, okay? You're going to see why. Uh, because it's all about God's power. Moses and Aaron obeyed God, went to Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, asked him to allow all those people, all the Israelites, to leave, go out into the desert, worship their God. His name is Yahweh. Right? That's, that's God's name, Yahweh. He revealed himself. But Pharaoh didn't know who Yahweh was. He didn't even believe them. And last week, I taught you in Exodus 7, verses 10 through 13. I want to review that real quick so you can see something important. 
Uh, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. This is verse 10 of Exodus 7. And this is where we'll be. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. Um, Go to your electronic ones on your phone if you like to look there. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent, a snake. Right? That that was really cool. I mean, if I had a staff and I threw it down and became that would be really cool. Right? Of course, I would want it to become a fish so I could catch it, but that's just me. Uh, Pharaoh summoned then, because of this interesting thing, the wise men and the sorcerers. That means uh, he summoned David Blaine and Penn and Teller and, and David Copperfield you know, those famous guys, and they were magicians of Egypt, and they did their secret arts. Each man would cast down his staff, and they became snakes also. So you got all these snakes in the courtyard, and I'm sure Pharaoh was very pleased that this was just a magic trick that Moses and Aaron had done. But it wasn't, was it? Not at all. But Aaron, this is the neat part, Aaron's staff then did something that the others couldn't do. It swallowed up all the other snakes. Aaron's staff swallowed up all of them like a free spaghetti dinner, right? I told you that last week. And of course, this is foreshadowing of what God is about to do in Egypt. God is about to swallow up Egypt. I mean all of it. In just a couple months' time, those pictures I showed you of what happens to to a place when a hurricane devastates it, that's what Egypt is going to look like when God is done with it. When the ten plagues are over in just a couple months, this devastation will be massive. And Egyptians, some of them, will still be like Pharaoh who hardened his heart. Verse 13, it says, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He wouldn't listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord said he wouldn't. And they will say, oh, it was Mother Nature. Mother Nature made the water turn to blood. The, 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 the gnats and the frogs in the darkness and, and all of that. That's what some will say. But others will rightfully declare that this was not done by nature. This wasn't nature at all. This was the power of God. This is the power of Yahweh. He is way more powerful than all those other false gods we've been worshiping because they worshiped, they were pantheistic, right? They worshiped many gods in Egypt. And that's our focus today. That's what I want you to see today, that our God is still the most powerful God. There is no God like our God. He's the one true God. He's sovereign, supreme over all things and all people. And this is one of the purposes of these plagues, to display God's all-powerfulness. Are you with me? Are you ready for this? For power plagues? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day to worship you, to hear about you being all-powerful. God, let us never forget that because there's times in our life, Father, where we, we just feel powerless. We feel like we are losing. But as we sang this morning, we are not when we are in Christ. We are winning because we are in you and we can trust in your power to overcome our issues. Father, I pray for this day to be a breakthrough for many of us, for all of us that we would see truth today, and that we would live by that truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Church said? Amen. Amen. All right, so the word plague, at its root, actually means to strike or to blow. So literally like a punch. That's what the word plague means. It's like a punch. You're like, God is punching the Egyptians. But 
is he actually punching them specifically? Like, who is, why 10 plagues? Why not 12 plagues? Why not 7 plagues? Why 10 plagues? And what is God doing? Who is God punching or striking here when he does these 10 plagues? You might think it's Pharaoh. You might think it's the Egyptians. But actually, it's the gods they worshipped. That's who God is striking. You remember in Exodus 5.2, Pharaoh said, Who's the Lord, Yahweh? Why should I obey his voice? He turned to all his advisors and said, Do you guys know Yahweh? Who's Yahweh? I never heard of Yahweh. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know him. Pharaoh didn't know Yahweh. Yahweh, of course, was the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Moses. But he was familiar with his own gods. In fact, he believed he was a god, a descendant of Ra, the sun god. He worshipped gods the Egyptians did, like Kunum, Happy, he won't be so happy in a bit, Osiris, Hecate, Seb, Seth, do your research, Google it, you'll see Egyptian mythology. They worship at least 23 gods are on that piece of paper that I made a copy of for you so you can see. They worshiped them because these were the gods of the land, the water, and the air, and they believed if they worshiped them, if they made sacrifices to them, if they prayed to them, then they would have blessings and protection. That's what they believed. But one by one, Yahweh, the one true God, our God, is going to knock them out. He's going to punch them. He's going to plague them, strike them, one at a time, to show He is supreme in power. There is no God like our God. Say that with me. There is no God like our God. Love it. Exodus 7, verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand, when I punch them in the face against Egypt. Bring out the people of Israel. Here's an interesting truth that you see if you read carefully. There's ten plagues. And the Egyptians were exempt from seven of them. But these first three, the Egyptians and the Israelites, maybe I said it wrong, the Israelites were exempt, hopefully I said that, Um, and the Egyptians got all ten. The Israelites got the first three, not the last seven. And I think that was intentional by God to show that he, reminding them that he is all-powerful. The first three weren't devastating, if you will. They were probably more like annoyances, as you'll see. Uh, Temporary setbacks. And the Israelites got it just like the Egyptians did, because they, of course, need to be reminded often that God is all-powerful. If you know, as as we'll see as we go through Exodus, that uh, they often disobeyed God, uh, even though he did so many great things for them. Does that sound familiar when you look in the mirror? (laughs) I know it is for me. God, you've done so much for me. And then I forget about you. What's wrong with me? Yes? Next Sunday, we're going to see that um, the second uh, set of plagues, the six ones, God's protection over his people. And it really beckons the question that I'm excited to, to dive into And I think it's a question that you probably have asked yourself before. How does God actually protect us today? You know, when we pray, we often pray for safety when we travel. We often pray for safety for our kids when they're away from us. We pray for people. We pray for protection. And I really feel like this next Sunday is going to reveal and show how God does that. 
And I'm a very practical, pragmatic person, and I want to show you how God does that practically, how he protects us, because I think it'll help our prayer life. So you really don't want to miss this next Sunday, do you? No, you'll be here, won't you? It's Communion Sunday next Sunday. That'll entice you even more to come. So we're going to dive into the first three plagues. Water turned to blood is the first plague. Uh, Frogs is the second one. And gnats is the third one. And we're going to see how God overcomes these false gods, which are idols in the Egyptians' lives. And also, honestly, how God can overcome your own idols. Um, Any obstacle in your life, anything that's stopping you from worshiping God, God will overcome it. So the water turned to blood. Get an idea of Pharaoh's daily ritual. You know, he's got a harem of people, I'm sure. You know, it's uh, like uh, probably famous people are today. They go out and they got their posse or whatever you want to call them. And uh, so he goes down to the Nile River on a daily basis because the Nile was, I mean, think about, you know, how it works back uh, before the days of, well, agriculturally speaking, I'll just say it that way, you need water, don't you, to grow crops and such. So all communities were built next to rivers. I mean, that was just, that's just common sense, right? So the Nile River was where they were. And so they would go down to this and they would worship the Nile River. Specifically, they'd worship three gods. Kunum was the guardian of the river's source. Happy was the spirit of the Nile River. And Osiris was the bloodstream of the Nile. Remember that. Osiris was the bloodstream of the Nile. That's what they believed. So here it is, another delightful day down by the river. There's no vans there, just so you know. Pharaoh living in luxury, bathing in the beautiful waters of the Nile River. You know, I mean, just a beautiful place. Just picture this serene place. And then, Exodus 7, 19, the Lord says to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your staff, stretch it out uh, your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers from Egypt, or around Egypt, the canals, the ponds, the pools of water, so that it might become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And I love this part, even in the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. So if you had gotten water from the Nile that morning, and you went to your house and you had the pot right out here where you were going to use that water later on, you'd open it up and it would be blood. God turned it all into blood the water into blood, everything. Verse 21, this is the saddest part here. The fish in the Nile died. The Nile stank, because you know what it smells like when a dead fish is around. And the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. A primary food source is gone. It smells terrible in this place. No more fishing cry, pretend there's a tear here, okay? Um, Now, we know why God did this. We can see if we understand what God is doing here. It's not a random thing that he's turning the water to blood. He's intentional because he's punching out Kunum, Happy, and Osiris. I mean, it's jab, hook, uppercut, right? It's P90X, jab, hook, nobody, uppercut. Nintendo, Punch-Out, Mike Tyson, remember that game? That's what God is doing here. He's knocking them out. Because he wants everyone to know the truth. He is the power over all things. He is the Nile's bloodline, not Osiris. 
He makes the water flow. He's in control. And what's Pharaoh's response to all this? Did his heart soften? No. In fact, he calls his magicians. Verse 22, the magicians of Egypt did the same thing with their secret arts. Now you ask the question. I'd ask the same question. Well, how'd they do that? Right? How'd they do that? Well, there was red clay in the area. They could have uh, did sort of like a, a food coloring thing. They do this all the time on St. Patty's Day, right? They turn waters green. They turn ponds blue up in, uh, you know, Armada and all those places where they have ponds and land and all, all that. Yeah. Um, they could, they, they, you can do that. It probably wasn't that big of a deal or that hard to duplicate this. So Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He wouldn't listen to them, just as the Lord said. In verse 23, it says Pharaoh turned and went into the house that he lived in, and he didn't take it to heart, didn't think about it anymore. Now, I told you last week, which was a hard message to preach, how, how God hardened Pharaoh's heart, yet Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And the Bible tells us both ways. And the way we understand that, the way I um, showed you how what the Scripture says is that Really, Pharaoh was, in, was a hard heart. He didn't have a soft heart and then God hardened it. He already had a hard heart. And God basically was pushing him forward, fortifying his already hard heart. You know, you ever, you ever have a situation where you got people in line? You might remember this from the, your school days. And it says, you know, will somebody volunteer? Will somebody step forward and uh, help the teacher? You know, and everybody's like, no, no, no. And then your friend like does this. Right? And you're like, whoa! Thanks a lot! Well, that's what God did to Pharaoh. He's just pushing him forward. He's saying, your heart is hard, and I'm going to push it forward. I'm going to um, bring uh, the truth about your heart into the light more quickly. And the truth was, Pharaoh is not going to worship God. His heart is hard. So, we go to the frogs. Second plague. Exodus 8, verse 2. If you refuse to let them go, oh, by the way, just so you know what happened, you read it for yourself. I know you like to read the Bible and, and follow along, so you read it for yourself. The, uh, the Egyptians just dug some trenches, and they found clean water to drink, and so they kind of overcame that problem of the water turning to blood, and I'm sure eventually it all flowed away. And um, Each plague, uh, Pharaoh will, will go to uh, Moses and beg for um, grace, really, um, mercy, um, and um, then God, Moses will pray to God, and God will, it, we'll see it next week, it's kind of interesting, the timing of it all. Um, I would think he would say, immediately, please, make this go away, but then uh, you'll see next week, God will say, or Pharaoh will say, no, tomorrow's good. <laughs> Strange. Frogs, if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs. They shall come up into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants and your people, into your ovens and your kneading bowls. Frogs everywhere. Anyone here grew up in the South? Then you grew up eating frog legs, am I right? Probably. And you liked them because they're like chicken. Isn't that how we compare everything? You know, it's like chicken. Anyone here think frogs are disgusting, slimy, and gross? Anyone? few of us? Yeah, imagine laying down at night, and then you pull up the covers, but under the covers are frogs. Hopping around, crawling up your pajamas. 
you know, you go to the, the cupboard and you get out the cereal and then there they are, hopping out of the cereal bowls. They're in your fridge, they're in your stove. I mean, that's what's going on in Egypt. They're everywhere. It's, it's really gross, right? But why, frogs? Who is God punching out now? Hecate. Hecate was the frog goddess. Human body, frog head. If you're wondering what this looks like, this is all I can give you to help you see it. If you've ever watched Friends before, you know the famous Thanksgiving episode where she puts a turkey on her head. Okay, that's, I guess that's what Hecate looked like, but it was a frog head. All right? Kind of weird. But why do they do that? Why did the Egyptians worship Hecate? What was, so what was the deal with her? Well, frogs to them were sacred. They, you were not allowed to kill a frog in Egypt. Uh, frogs reproduce like bunny rabbits. So guess what she was the goddess of? Fertility. So they believed that you know, frogs, uh, this Hecate goddess, uh, would bring life. They would bring life. And God wants everyone to know that only he has the power to bring life. Psalm 139 tells us, as David wrote to God, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. God has the power to do the miracle of bringing life into this world. He makes babies. That's where they come from. And I just feel led to pray for people that have experienced um, miscarriage, that have experienced... um, an inability to conceive. Um, Also to praise the Lord for bringing life. We have a brand new baby in our midst here. We've had a lot of babies born recently, and I just feel led to pray um, if you've ever experienced any of that. So if you would just bow your heads for a moment. Father, I thank you that you have brought us to this place where you have shown us that, that you have power to bring life into this world and Well, we know, Father, I know one person that I've talked with just this week that suffered from miscarriage. Father, I pray for her. I pray for all the moms. I pray for the dads that that we're excited about bringing life into this world and and, and their baby passed. Father, I I know, as we see in Scripture, um, the child is with you. It's your will. It's your grace. It's your mercy. But Father, it doesn't take away the pain that we have and the struggle that we have, and I pray, Father, that you would bring healing um, in, in lives that have experienced this. I pray that you bring healing and, and hope and, uh, and comfort into those that can't conceive or maybe never had a child but wanted a child. Uh, Father, I also give you thanks and praise for the babies that are born, um, that you are growing uh, this this church, your church. Um, It's a beautiful thing, Father. I thank you, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. Amen. So we're moving on to, uh, well, we're in the frogs, but we're going to see how Pharaoh responds. Verse 7, 
uh, the magicians did the same miracle, plague. They wouldn't call it a plague, I guess, but by their secret arts, verse 7, and they made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Now, hold on a second here. I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. Okay, uh, you know, I understand when a magician can pull a rabbit out of a hat. Okay, I understand when they can hide it in a box and make it disappear. Uh, but can you duplicate the massive amount of frogs? I mean, how do you, where do you get, where do you buy that many frogs if you're a magician and, and make it, I mean, how did they do that? Right? Aren't you asking that question? Okay, well, if you look closely at the scripture, it says that their secret arts is the way our translation is, but sometimes that word there is enchantments. So we begin to realize here that this isn't a magic trick. This is Satan empowering them to do this. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2.9, which isn't on the screen here, says that the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. So we can understand here that Satan's involved. He's using these magicians and sorcerers to um, provide and do this, this uh, miracle here, if you will. Um, not a miracle, I don't know what, you know, this plague, duplicating this plague. Because Satan wants to deceive. He doesn't want the Egyptians to worship God as the all-powerful one. He wants them to worship these false gods. And that's how uh, it, that ended. Now, uh, Exodus 8, verse 16, the final one uh, for today. Nats. Nats. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the earth. So it may become, uh, become gnats, or really the, the, the word that um, you will uh, also see is the word lice. Lice. Yes. Nats is also translated lice. Uh, this made me think, though, when my son played baseball um, on a windy day at Kite Monroe. Uh, it's all dirt infield, you know? And then, of course, uh, when they're little, the, those little eight-year-old baseball players, you got a little one. You know, what do they like to do when they're playing baseball? They like to do this. And they do that in the dirt, because the dirt, and then it's, it's billowing up, right? The, and then, of course, the wind catches it and blows it into all the people, the parents, and the parents are like, stop it, cut it out. Well, that's what they did, right? Like, they made this, like, dust come up, and the dust just turned into lice. And lice was everywhere. Parents, how many times have you got that letter home from the elementary school that says, somebody in your uh, students, your child's class has lice? And you're like, freaking out, no! Let me check your scalp. Leave me alone! Anybody's head starting to itch right now? Imagine lice everywhere, all over the people and the animals. And there was not enough lice shampoo in this place to get rid of the problem. So Pharaoh again turns to his magicians. Verse 18, the magicians tried by their secret arts, their enchantments. They called on Satan to, to produce these, this lice of the same proportion, but they could not do it. Pharaoh then looks at his magicians. The magicians look at Pharaoh, and you know what they say? They say, this is the finger of God. This isn't Satan. We can't do this. This is God. This is Yahweh. We, we don't have this power. And Pharaoh still hardened his heart and he wouldn't 
listen. But I love it that the magicians knew it. They knew something was different. This, this wasn't something that Satan could do through them. This was, this was God. This was the finger of God. And God is punching out Seb, the earth god of Egypt. Now at this point, there's been three plagues. Egypt has experienced three plagues. This third one, I stop here intentionally to show you that it's not able to be duplicated by the magicians. They can't come up with any tricks to make this happen as well. They admit this is, this is a, beyond our abilities. This is uh, uh, a powerful God is doing this. And common sense would tell Pharaoh here, you should listen to Yahweh. You should let these people go. You should let them go into the, the desert and worship their God. But his heart was hardened. His heart was hardened. Seven more plagues are going to come before he finally releases them. Which we'll get to in the next couple of Sundays. But I want to ask you this question. When you read these stories in the Bible, are you a little bit skeptical? I think it's okay. I think it's okay if you read these stories and you're like, this is, this is pretty wild, man. And we didn't even get to the good stuff yet. Like, we didn't even get to the, <laughs> the Red Sea, right? I mean, we're coming up on some big-time miracles here. So let's be honest. These are pretty extreme stories. Did these things really happen 1440-ish B.C.? Did they really happen? I mean, does God really have this kind of power over nature? And, and if he does, then why isn't he doing the same thing today? Right? We're asking these questions. Why doesn't he devastate those evil countries with evil dictators and stop genocides? I mean, why doesn't he at least put frogs in my mean neighbor's mailbox? Right? Like, why doesn't he do something like that? Well, the answer, I think, is kind of simple. God doesn't need to display his power over and over again to prove that he is all-powerful. I'll say that again because it's that important. God doesn't need to display his power over and over and over again to prove that he is all-powerful. You either believe it or you don't. That's where we're at. Jesus was very quick to point this out to all the people that were following him when he was doing miracles. He said, folks, I'm not doing these miracles so you can get more fish sandwiches. This isn't about free dinners. You either believe or you don't believe. You either put your faith in me or you should get out of here. And when it was all said and done, when he was resurrected and he appeared to the disciples, all but that one guy named Thomas, right? Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas made that, that bold statement, unless I see the holes in his hands, I'm not going to believe. So we, now we have this name, Doubting Thomas, right? He was the doubter. And then Jesus then goes to Thomas and appears to him and says, go ahead, Thomas, stick your finger in there. And he does. And, he, and he's amazed. And Jesus says this to him, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those. That's us. We didn't see what Thomas saw. We didn't get to put our finger in, his, in the hole in his hand. But we believe. Do you need to see ten plagues to believe in God's power? No, you don't. It's been written, and we see it, and it's the truth. And you either believe that or you don't. You either have the faith or you don't have the faith. And I believe God can do anything. I believe he's all-powerful. And I don't 
think that he doesn't show his power today. In fact, I believe that he wields his power all the time, every single day. You may not notice it because, you know, well, we don't see lice everywhere. Uh, we don't see frogs, you know, everywhere. But I believe that he yields his power. He shows his power every day when he saves the powerless. Think about that. That's us. We can never save ourselves when we are sinners. As sinners, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot redeem ourselves. But here we're going to see the whole purpose of Exodus is that God is redeeming the Israelites. He's saving them, taking them out of slavery. And what does God do for you? What did Jesus Christ do? He redeemed you from your slavery to sin. He rescued you. You were powerless. While you were powerless, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. So does God show his power every single day? Yeah, every single time someone says, I need forgiveness, God. I'm turning to you. I can't do it on my own. God has just shown his power over sin and rescued and redeemed you. The second way that God shows his power every day is to help you overcome those things of which you cannot overcome. I may or may not know what's going on in your life right now, but some of you, there's a situation going on in your life that you are absolutely powerless to it. It has overcome you, and you can't overcome it yourself. I mean, just be honest. You don't have to show, raise your hand. I know some of you are, I mean, just do this. Is there anybody here that feels powerless over something in your life? I mean, just, yeah, a lot of hands, a lot of hands. Now, when you're honest and, and, and you admit it, that you need help, then you can turn to God because he can help. Because what you've heard today is that he's all-powerful and that he can overcome anything that you have going on in your life. And all you need to do is pray and ask him. It's a simple prayer. God, I'm powerless over this situation in my life. You know what my situation is. I need your help. I need your power to overcome. Please help God. How's that for a prayer? It takes you 10 seconds to pray that prayer. And let me tell you, it'll be the best 10 seconds of your life. Because God can overcome anything going on in your life. Our praise team is going to come up and sing our final song. But I want to invite you right now just to bow your heads. And pray that prayer. Just think about that thing that's going on in your life that you feel powerless over. And just pray to God. God, I'm powerless over this situation in my life. You know what it is. I need your help. I need your power to overcome. Please help me, God. It'll be silent for about a minute here. Just pray to God. Use this time to get closer to God.